0: Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network, in partnership with Wish TV, you may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is my particular favorite BBC, <laughs> bold, brilliant commentator.
1: <laughs> I was going to say British Broadcasting Company.
0: <laughs> Abdul Hakim Shabazz, who I've known almost since you came to the market. I consider not only him to be a wonderful friend, a terrific supporter but absolutely, without a doubt, one of the most courageous journalists journalists, in the Hoosier State. We're very, very pleased to have him on the podcast. You were one of the first people I thought of when I started Leaders and Legends, and it's just taken ridiculously long to get you on. He is going to be interrogated first by Mr. Chris Spangle, and there would be no Chris Spangle without Abdul Hakeem Shabazz. It's true. He's my father. <laughs> Obi Wan never told you what happened, to <laughs> your Father.
1: Looks like we took out the oven a little bit too early there. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't didn't finish gestating. Yeah, Abdul, I love you, and I'm very happy you're on the podcast.
1: Hey, always good to be here. Nice, nice to be on the on the receiving end for a change, supposed on the giving end. Yeah, yes. no
0: kidding. I've been on your show. I don't know how many eight times. million
1: times. <laughs> we, we need Wagner here.
0: We do need Wagner here. We miss we miss sweet Jennifer Wagner, who used to get in trouble when I would say things that were absolutely insane. <laughs> and she would laugh, and then she would get like, hey, you're not supposed to laugh at that idiot. Because
2: that's where Robert and I met when I was your producer. From I, I was an intern from '04 to full-time in 2007 and eight, and that's where I met Robert. And then we met at the gym, and you mm-hmm. said, hey, I want to start a podcast. I know you mm-hmm. pushed some
0: buttons. He didn't ask Abdul for a reference, otherwise we never would have started this <laughs> podcast. But you know, those were fun times to drive all the way from Perry Township. To WXNT at ninety six in the Meridian at seven in the morning, so I could battle with the Wicked Witch of the Left. <laughs> but I miss it, and I miss her, and that was a lot of fun.
1: Well, those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun.
0: There's a, on my SoundCloud
2: the Ghost of WXNT. If you Google it, you'll find it, and it's all the podcasts from seven and eight. And you can hear you two arguing. You can hear the Willie Lynch stuff. The tell me you have
1: election night. I bet I do. Yeah. I bet I do. I'll look. Because I remember we sent you down to the Democrat headquarters. Yeah. And it was 2007 grim. 2007-11. Not... Yeah, 2007 election. Mm-hmm.
0: It was grim. <laughs> I just remember, and then I'll, Chris, I'll uh, turn it over to you, and you can take it away. But I remember that the first time I ever really made Abdul laugh was when it was probably 2007. it have to be post-2006. When Abdul asked a question about Mitch Daniels and the General Assembly, Governor Daniels, and my reply was, if Pat Bauer says no anymore, he could have been my prom date. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and you got in big trouble. I got in a little bit of... I did, I, put it this way. I was applauded for my creativity. <laughs>
2: Go ahead, Chris. You know, I've known you since you got here in 2004 as your intern. That was my first internship and you you had started in September, I started in December, and you didn't know a lot about the town. Um y- and you've you've turned into the dean of Indiana journalists, <laughs> verified by a court. Uh so, you know, we'll talk about Indianapolis, but you know, I've known you a long time. You were a groomsman at my wedding. Uh, and there's certain just certain parts of your life that i don't feel like i know a lot about that i want to hear you like more the about the body in the trunk of the car you, you'd have to clear out the trunk to anything in there first <laughs> uh, while setting up i was having flashbacks you know the mic was flapping. it's like what are you doing this is this is how this works <laughs> um, but i want to start with your parents your parents have both passed mm-hmm. they were lovely wonderful people um, I just want to hear about how you grew up. You have great brothers. You have a great family. Some of them are here. Um, but just talk about your parents and
1: and uh, where you grew up and, well, and what the, they instilled in you. Well, I was the oldest male child, so that you know, like they say, you know, the the order that you're born, you know, kind of has some bearing on your personality and you know, how you're raised in the whole nine yards. Uh, my dad, both my parents were previously married. My dad had five daughters. My mom had two daughters. Then they got together and had five sons. Hmm. So. People would ask are you guys either good Catholics or oversexed Protestants. What's what? there
0: was no cable, and <laughs>
1: no, there's no cable back in the early '80s either. So, <laughs> not you much guys, to do. Get you, yeah. you guys on a television or something. Uh, but luckily, uh, my sisters all live with their other custodial parents. So my dad settles up with their mom. My sisters live with their father. Otherwise, you have like twelve children in a house and basically one and a half bathrooms which is not good for no i saw this movie with the uh, chi- what is it cheaper by the dozen yeah <laughs> right yeah his hers and ours so <laughs> right. to speak yeah so i was the oldest male so my job was basically to you know make sure everybody's homework was done make sure the house was clean because both my parents worked so i'm kind of yeah. in charge and running the show so i couldn't go out and get in trouble like my younger brother said i saved all my stuff for college right which is right. what you're supposed to do in the first place i grew up on the south side of chicago in the Late 70s, early 80s. Uh, oh. We lived from 1972 to 1986. Then we moved to Europe and Germany for a while. But went to a you know, uh, college preparatory high school. So we had to take a test to get in. So I was smart and a genius back then. Right. Back then, too. I could start a school at three years old, believe it or not. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't, wouldn't know that, but I figured you'd tell me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so no, uh, no, no, sharp kid. Uh, my, my growing up was basically middle class, black Growing up, I mean, my parents were Islamic, so we didn't necessarily eat pork or bacon. I kind of, you know, threw a, threw a monkey wrench in the, in the show around Christmas time. Happy but, Ramadan, by the way. My, thank you. Still doing that. Yeah. No alcohol for 15 days, so. Started April first, then May first, so down seven times. But you don't, you don't do Ramadan like you do it like Lent Ramadan. You yeah, do, I, you, you don't do it. I like, do the Abdul version of Ramadan,
2: right? Not the like. I grew up with Muslim classmates, and they couldn't eat from sun up to sundown. And then I met you, and you're like, well, I just don't drink alcohol. Yeah, let's like,
1: give alcohol for thirty days. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, like, is is your faith like important to you? Like, is it? Is, how did it inform you the mm. the Muslim tradition?
1: I'm not really a practicing. I mean, do I believe in no. God? Yes. Am I living proof of his genius? yes they like, there's thunder you run to the window don't and take, and a take a bow finger. yeah exactly hey you still got the jokes I got the liners you hear that liner again in a couple <laughs> of weeks <laughs> by, by, by the way so i mean i'm not a fanatic about it because i don't believe in like you know blowing up school buses or <laughs> thank you know, good or women have to wear burqas that sort of thing right so well, like I, I take religion in in a stride it's like okay god just wants you to be nice and say please and thank you and don't be a jerk right so how did you end up in Germany? Was your dad in the military? Uh, my dad was in the military when we were younger. Then he got out, and then he went back in as a civilian. Because he, he rejoined back in like 84. Right. Then he had an assignment to go to either Europe or California. And he and my mom were like, no, let's take the boys to Europe. They're getting you know, exposure, you know, different part of the world, different part of the country. And it's all in the, you know, the government dime. So yeah. I spent my first couple years of college and actually in Munich, Germany.
2: Okay. Did you cause any trouble in Munich? Invade any beer halls? Try any push?
1: um actually munich is where i where i went to television for the first time really because when i was in high school i was a computer science engineering major because that's what i wanted to wanted to do and then when i was sitting in like calculus 2 class and the teachers write a lecture on the board I'm like i can't do this anymore i'm bored out of my freaking mind so i remember calling my dad like hey dad i can't do this anymore it's like well it's okay to change your major but remember you got four younger brothers and we got a time we got a timetable yeah so whatever you're gonna do do it and get it get out the way and get it done so I went down to what was called MCTV, Munich Campus Television, mm-hmm. which is like a, like the old video camcorder with the VHS tape and the added bays and the whole nine yards. And so I'm watching the their show, and it was like Center Live. I was like, "This is stupid. <laughs> this is crap." And my buddy, who was the executive producer at the time, like, "Think you could do better? I could do better than the, uh, asleep." <laughs> like, "Hey, well, come by tomorrow and audition." Like, "Okay, fine." So I came by the next day and audition. So they gave me a script to read and looked at. It, I was like, "This is stupid. No wonder nobody goes. This is crap." Like, "Do you think you can do better?" Yeah. So I wrote. You know, five minutes worth of stuff and then after they read it they're like, So you want your own show or what? So again, my own show was called Up Abdul's Alley. <laughs> it was like it was like an Andy Rooney type commentary thing of Five minutes of me talking about the scandals that were going on at the University of Maryland's Munich campus.
2: Really? Okay. So you were an investigative reporter in your college days, too. You were, you were,
1: I was more of a muckraker right. than an investigative reporter.
2: Yeah. So you've been doing the same thing, kind of the same shtick. Like for almost 40 years. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's working for you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: hey, checks still keep coming in. Yeah. It's paying for Alaska next in June. <laughs> nice.
2: So, you know, what, what did you learn in Germany and living overseas? What kind of lessons did you take away
1: from that? Well uh, it was interesting growing up in an all like said, all middle class black neighborhood, you know just basically one set of people to go overseas, and it's like basically everybody, you know, you know white, black, Hispanic, Asian, you name it. And for me, I enjoyed I loved it. I didn't want to come back yeah when I, when I was there because I enjoyed being around different people, you know different different politics, different attitudes, just different everything, yeah. which was what made Germany so much fun. Now, when I came back to America, I, I did kiss the ground. <laughs> why? Because I was like, happy to be back in America. Because The first thing I did was go into a 7-Eleven and the guy didn't speak English. so I was like, thank you, God, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to German? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is wonderful. Well, no, because, you know, Germany, things closed down. You didn't have the 24-hour right. whatever. And so when we came back to America, it was like 24-hour, you know, grocery store, cable, television's on 24 hours a day. It's like, oh, my God, I'm back home. Yeah. Even though I still miss Europe from time to time.
2: Cosmopolitan, we might call it. Yes. That.
1: Yes. Not the magazine.
2: No. No, uh, so let's talk about your dad. I mean, just tell us a little bit about your dad, and what what are one or two things that you take away from him that you learned the
1: most from? The one thing I learned from my father was, son, don't be afraid to talk to people, particularly whenever I would get like a like a job opportunity. The first one I always call was my dad. Hmm. Like, hey, dad, these folks call, blah blah blah. And he's like, so you got nothing to lose from sitting down and talking to people, and so that I always did. So whether it was WXNT, WJBC Radio in Bloomington, you know, WMBD Television Peoria or St. Louis University Law School, my dad always said, son, don't be afraid to talk to people. And at least hear them out and hear what they have to, have to say. Yeah. And the other thing you know, my dad always told me was, son, never let your arrogance exceed your intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you think you're doing at that? I think I'm doing pretty darn good. Thank well, I you very bet much. you do. I'm told I'm <laughs> condescending. That means I talk down to people from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I was your intern, and I know. <laughs> so what about
2: your mom? I mean, tell us a little bit about her and, and what you learned from her.
1: Uh, the one thing I learned from my mom, which I'll never forget, is that God never puts more pressure on you than you can handle. And so uh, that became abundantly clear when I took the bar exam. Because I think I may have told you the story like a long yeah. long time ago, but for the audience that doesn't know, I'm also a lawyer, believe it or not, so please forgive me. Um, went to law school part-time at St. Louis University, so it was basically a 100-mile-an-hour drive, drive one way from Springfield to St. Louis for like three, four nights a week for three and a half years. But I got my law degree, all that taken care of. And so when I took the bar exam... Um, I took it in Chicago. So it was a two-day test, six hours, both days. One day was all essay. The other day was all multiple choice. And so I remember coming home. So my dad like, so dad, be like, so now how did you do? It's like, oh, well, I could have passed. I could have failed. I have no – because you have no idea how, you, how right. you did. And so the day the bar exam results came out, and we got on my computer at work at the attorney general's office. like, okay, let's see where my number is. Because the way they did that back there, they gave you a four-digit number. If you saw your four-digit number on the screen, you passed. If you didn't see the four-digit number, we'll see you – to take the test the next go around. Yeah. So I was looking for my number. Like it's funny, I don't see my number here. So I hit refresh. And I didn't see my number. So I hit control all delete. I couldn't have failed. This <laughs> and I didn't see the number. So I turned my computer off, unplugged it, plugged it back in, <laughs> and turned it back on. Like, where where the where blank is my f- number here? I don't see it. Like, holy crap, I didn't pass the bar exam. Like, wow. So I was just like, just in shock, because yeah. I knew it was a possibility, but it's like, okay. No more pressure than you can handle. Got your law degree. Got your master's degree. You got a job. So it's not like you're kind of on some lawyer job somewhere to get ahead. You're still fine. Uh, and then about three weeks later, I saw a story in the Chicago Tribune that said there was a mistake on the multi-state portion of the bar exam. Well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, when, you, when, you fail the, when you pass the bar exam, they just send you a letter saying you passed. Right. When you fail the bar exam, they send you like a packet. And they told me I missed the bar exam by like five points. Mm. Now, in Illinois... If you missed by four points or less, you get an automatic regrade, because that's within 1% of a 400 right. point scale. And it needed 265 to pass, which is like 63%. So I had 259. So I missed it by literally by five, five points. But now, fast forward you know, three weeks later, they say, hey, there's a mistake on the multi state part. And the question that we told people they got wrong, they actually got right. And so now everybody's starting to freak out because you've got people who've been sworn in who started jobs, who aren't really lawyers anymore. Other people missed it by a point. It was just a mess. It was about to be, go, it was about to be a disaster nationwide. So the first thing I was going to do is go find a lawyer and go sue <laughs> until I got the results that I wanted. <laughs> I was going to go down to St. Clair County, which is just on the, the east, side of, east side of St. Louis, which is a very plaintiff-friendly, county, kind of the most plaintiff-friendly county of the whole state of Illinois. Always looking for the loophole. <laughs> exactly. And so I was like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go find me a St. Clair County lawyer. I'm going to sue until I get my results, damn it, because i I bust my ass for this damn thing. It's $65,000 worth of student loan? Yeah. Um, but then so, but my lawyer friends at the AG's office were like, Abdul, no, you shouldn't fight it. Just a, the horrible way to start your career. Just take it and go along with like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so I wrote him a letter like, hey, I don't trust you guys. I want my whole exam regraded because it's like mice or potato chips. There's never just one. There's probably more and more and more. And so uh, they emailed me back saying, Mr. Puzz, we got your response. Whatever. Okay, fine. They're going to tell me, go pound sand or go engage in self-copulation and, and then go get the lawyer and solve a lawsuit. So it turns out um, that that day in May, I got a phone call. Like, hi, Abdul, this is Mary from the Illinois Board of Bar Examiners. Hi, Mary, it's Abdul. How are you doing? Like doing fine. I'm, like They're about to tell me hey, we're not going to do anything for you. You're screwed. It's so I'm going to let you know uh, that we regraded your exam, yeah, and you passed. I was like, you're shitting me. <laughs> I was like, oops, I'm sorry to curse in your ear. I'm like, no, you're fine. My bad. No, I also sort of told her on the phone. Oh. <laughs> this podcast, say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're, you're kidding me. It's like, nope, you can call me back in you know, 20 minutes. It'll be the same thing. And by the way, we left your message at home on your answer machine, too. I was like, holy crap. So what happened was, because I missed it by five points, the question that everybody said that, that, that was marked wrong, I got it right, which means I missed by four points, which kicked in the automatic Re- regrade. So here I am, if I'm gonna use a sports analogy, which I probably shouldn't, I'm on my one yard line, the sun's in my face, and I throw the Hail Mary the wrong way, and the guy runs it all the way back to win by like one point. Literally, that's yeah. what happened. So the first thing I did was I called my parents, like, hey, mom, dad, guess what? I passed the burger, and blah, blah. And my mom's like, I knew they could keep my baby down, blah, blah. I was, <laughs> like, I was like, okay, all right. Calm down. It's, it's okay, mom. And then I went downstairs and got in the office intercom system, like, excuse me, everyone, it's a duel. Because we have like a big open foray, like just like in the MS building, but so people can actually come out on the balconies and yeah. see what's going on. Like just when everybody know in this building that I passed the bar exam. They messed up, they made the mistake, thank <laughs> you very much. I'm taking the rest of the day off.
2: Well, while we're in your childhood, where do you think that confidence or arrogance or whatever where does it come from? Is you know, is it is it an act, is it
1: a choice? Where where does the swagger come from? All the from hard work. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk crap because I work my butt off. Yeah. <laughs> that's why when I came in Indianapolis, uh, I started going to every meeting, humanly possible, because that's how you're going to learn what the issues are, who the newsmakers are, who are people you can talk to, who you can trust. That's why, like I said, the first week of the legislature, I was there like till you know, literally every day. Yeah. And so if you work hard, I was in firm believe you can't talk smack unless you can back it up. Yeah, And I can back it up. And by the way, I called my best friend from law school and told her what happened. She was like, "Well, oh, this is why you shouldn't be so damn arrogant all the time. Maybe this will teach you something. I was like, bullshit. I was right the first time. And they were wrong. She just scratched her head and just hung up the phone. Like, call me later. Like, okay, we'll do it. That's funny.
2: <laughs> so you go to college. I mean, what did you want to do when you grew up? And then what did you go to college for? I know
1: you got a lot of different degrees. I mean, just actually, kind of... I wanted to be a teacher, really? believe it or not. Okay. I wanted to be a math and science teacher, because I had really good teachers in high school and elementary school. Um, but then I changed gears and went uh, to television and radio and did that uh, junior, senior year. And then I became a reporter at WJBC Radio in Bloomington, mm-hmm. Illinois, just 140 miles, literally up I-74. Did that for a couple years. Then I went to graduate school, got my master's in government. Uh, then went for, for radio station in Springfield, being the political reporter. Mm-hmm. Then after doing that for a couple years, went to work for the Illinois Attorney General. Then I went to law school. Then my boss ran for governor. He, got fi- he lost, and so we all got fired. He lost to Rob Blagojevich, which I think you were there. I, 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 sure, yes, I was there then, uh, and you did not like to talk about Mr. Ryan. <laughs> no, you did not like me to bring it up. No, that was, that was, that was a sore spot. Then, uh, I just remember, cause I think you were still producing the morning show at the time. Yeah. And I had an interview with, uh, one of the Fox news reporters, it was something in Chicago. It was like, um, Oh, what was it? It was like some, some workers that, you know, barricaded themselves in some union building, or whatever, won more money or whatever. She was like, yeah, Abdul, no, the, the, the mayor's here, or the governor's here. It's like, Rob Blagojevich is there? Like, has he been arrested yet? Like, you do realize he is going to jail eventually. That kind of caught her off guard. Like, I'm sorry about that, kid. I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of caught me off guard. Then the next thing, the cops show up. Hey, get your clothes on. We're coming to get you. <laughs> and I knew Rob Blagojevich was going to go to prison because when I went back to being a reporter, we're in the governor's media veil, like you know, Daniels and Holcomb and all those guys have one, where they kind of you know, say their thing and then they open up the floor for questions. Like, governor, question for you. State workers are filing a lawsuit against you because they feel they were fired improperly. Because, you know, administrations change. But some state workers are protected. Yeah. Like, they're protected state workers. Um, so do you, have, how did you fire them? Because they filed a lawsuit and I think they got a case. And which is responsible as well. do, if you don't think I'm going a little thing like the law get in the way of me reforming this government, then someone's got another thing coming. I was like, oh, my God. You're, <laughs> like, you're going to prison. <laughs> yeah, you came to Indianapolis fully formed in
2: 2004. And you were an odd choice for a conservative talk station, and still are. Um, and I say that because, you know, the typical, especially in 2004, it was Glenn Beck had just started, Sean Hannity had just started, you had Neil Bortz, you know, you had Rush, obviously. And it was more propaganda, like, here's here's how the left is screwing things up. But you take such a different tact, and it's something that's um, caused me agitated because I was, uh, got my start with you. You know, the libertarians are like, well, we just should have no government. I'm like, it's not that simple. And they're like, he's a witch! Uh, You know, and (laughs) and, and, (laughs) and you're like, one day you will understand. Uh, And I just had Andy Horning on my podcast, and he's like, you get it now? I was like, yes. Um, But when you showed up in Indianapolis, I mean, how? how, what was the, the percentage of working in government, working at the attorney general's level, working... As a lawyer, being a lawyer, working as a journalist, that kind of gives you this different view on how talk radio ought to be done.
1: Well, I always approach talk radio differently because, in my opinion, anybody can say the word liberal. Like, see those darn liberals, blah, I'm like, oh my god, like, I have to hear this like eight million times a day because it was just conservative talk radio and Air America just, you know, went off the air. And so I was like, I'm not going to do talk radio that way. I'm going to f- number one, you can listen to the national stuff all day long. Like I said, Neil Bortz, Glenn Beck, you know. John Hannity, to lesser degree, you know Tom Leikus and all the rest of those guys. It was all conservative radio all the time. Like, okay, what do we do differently? Yeah. that those guys aren't doing, and what are we doing differently that IBC, which was our competition at the time, yeah. isn't doing either. I mean, they had you know the the morning news, but it was basically a news wheel. They had seven minutes of actual content, and we tuned in
2: one day and like Pidge was talking about knitting. You yeah, know? and so if you're a hardcore, you have you
1: had thirty two minutes. So what are you going to fill that with? Yeah. And one day, Jeff and I, we ran into each other Nikki Blaine's. We're having cocktails, just kind of getting to know each other. And he, Jeff was like, Abdul, I really like what you do. I was like, what do you mean? Because you're like a taxi driver. Every day, there's a different route, you know, different road, different stops. Me, I'm like a bus driver. Same route, yeah. same stops, all the freaking time.
2: Which, unfortunately for you, is the key to success in radio and on-air radio in that... You've got to have those kind of stop signs. But with the advent of podcasting and blogging and new media, I think that's where you kind of excelled early on. And being your producer, I'm now the digital director for The Bob and Tom Show, but everything I learned was like trying to video cast abdul in 2005 you know when there was no video cast you know like trying all these different things because that camera that was in the corner (laughs) yeah wxnt had no budget had no you know no attention paid to it whatsoever uh and the were you there eight years um
1: oh yeah 2004 to 2011
2: yeah i mean you you had to do different things to kind of stand out from the crowd because you weren't going to get a lot of support from the the overlords
1: and one thing that we did that nobody else has really done until podcasting came along was actually brought the voice of newsmakers on the air like i play a five-minute discussion with you know bart peterson or a 10-minute discussion with you know mitch daniels or brian bosma because you can hear that you can hear all the newsmakers in their entirety and then we can talk about what they said as opposed to like a 15 second you know clip clip here and there which isn't which takes him out of context that's the one thing i would never do is take anybody out of context, is, okay, this is what they said, plain and simple. Now we can argue about what they meant, but we'll not take them out of context. Now, how much of that was ingenuity, and how
2: much of that was just raw laziness, Abdul? You're like, I was out late, night. I'm I'm soaking in
1: martinis. Just play the whole clip. Well, my laziness is the motivation for my efficiency. (laughs) (laughs) Please explain that for the court. Well, in, in a nutshell... Yes I'm fundamentally lazy, but i 'm also very efficient, right, which is why I can be afford to be lazy, yeah because i 'm efficient, yeah because i'm lazy it's it's six in one hand it, It's Half a the, beautiful system Robert <laughs> but 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 also what I used to do I, a lot of that I started doing when I was doing talk radio in Springfield, yeah, actually bring back the voices of you know news people and also when you're on the air for like you know six to nine or five to ten. You know, that that first, that first hour, there's nobody up and paying attention. Like, hey, let's just play some of our...
2: You were so salty when they made you do the 5 o'clock hour. You just read the Wall Street Journal every morning. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that innovation was really interesting because it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody do talk radio like that. And it, it endeared you to so many of the politicos in town, to the people who wanted to actually know what was going on. Um, and it built you like a core audience of people that... Built a lot of credibility with people early on.
1: Yeah, because one of my cause my thing was we are not WIBC, we're not the Annapolis Star. So why should we try to be? Because we don't have the audience, we don't have the resources to do what they do, even though at the end of the day, if you look at, you know, just so how the markets change, you know, the star isn't what it used to be, IBC isn't what it used to be. They're actually where I actually what X and T was when we first started back in back in 2004. But one thing I would do back in Springfield is I would actually bring the voice of newsmakers and actually put them on. Yeah. Put them on the air so people can hear what the mayor had to say, what the council had to say, what the governor had to say. Like, don't take my word for it. My, my, I don't want you to think what I think. I want you to make up your own mind. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what I think, but we're going to play the whole interview first. So how did – I know Andrew Lee
2: hired you. He hired me. Poor choices up and down the dial yeah. all over, to, you know, wherever he's at now. Um, but how did you end up in Indianapolis, and what made you, I mean, did you want to move to Indiana? By this? sheer
1: accident. Actually, you, this is actually, this is our second tour of duty here.
2: Does your license plate say Ill- Indiana or Illinois? Uh, we'll get to that, because um, I want to hear about it. Actually, that. on the new car, does it is, it uh, is okay. Indiana plates. But how did you decide to come to Indianapolis? How did you get the job here at X&T?
1: Um, it was kind of a weird circle. Uh, my boss uh, at the radio station I was at in Springfield, WMAY, uh, went to a radio station in Florida, where our old boss, Andrew Lee, Used to work, yeah. And Andrew Lee came up here to WXNT in Indianapolis, and so they were looking for a morning show hosts. And so Andrew asked my old boss T.J. Hart, like, "Hey, do you know anybody who might be interested in doing a talk radio here in Indianapolis?" Like, "Well, I got a guy back in Springfield who might be what you want." And so Andrew called me, like, "Hi Abdul, this is Andrew Lee from WXNT Radio in Indianapolis." Like, "X and T, what the hell is X and T? No idea what that is. We go to the internet. Oh my god, this is a crappy website." What? Hi Andrew, what can I do for you? It's like, well. We're looking for a morning show host, heard some good things about you. you would send us a couple audition tapes. I sent him a couple audition tapes, and it came down to me and a guy from Detroit who was tired of the Detroit rat race and was looking to kind of slow down a bit. And so uh, I ended up getting the job, and it was kind of funny because I was dating somebody at the time. like, hey, I'm going to go over to Indianapolis, do this for a couple years, go back, and then go become prosecutor, county prosecutor, then governor, then president. I had my own. Is old- that why you kept the residence in Illinois? In part, yeah.
2: Okay. What's the other parts? I want to hear all of it. No more evasion. I've had 15 years of evasion out of you <laughs> on this.
1: Um, part of the reason why I kept it was I wasn't planning to stay here for long. Right. And just then I met, I met the, the lovely Mrs. Shabazz. Shabazz yeah. That kind of changed everything. Yeah. Well, I was like, am I going to be here for a couple years? Why Why go all the grief and hassle of change everything? When I'm just going to go back in a couple years. But the yeah. girl I was dating, about a year here we broke up. So it's like, okay, well, I'll just you know, keep the house in Illinois for a while. Then we'll just... Do that till we finally decide to you know do what we're going to do, and then when I got my new car, I was like, ah, let's just go ahead and do it. So you finally relented. Yeah,
2: you're now a Hoosier. I'm an adopted Hoosier. <laughs> See, you'll never claim it. So, so because you, you sc- got to remember, for most of my life, Hoosier is not a term of endearment. Right. No, I know. Yeah, it, it isn't even too much here. But let's <laughs> l- let's get into the glory years of WXNT. You know, starting around 2006, 2007. You know, you have a, a tumultuous period with Gra- with um, uh, Bart, Bart Peterson. Peterson. You have a lot of crime. The crime was spiking a lot then. You had the charter school wars. You had daylight savings time. You had... IPS. IPS and Eugene White. You had, uh, you know, just the building of the stadium and Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, and then you had the the victory of Mayor Ballard. I mean, and no matter what anybody listening to this program wants to think, I was there... Greg Ballard had you and two staffers until the last two weeks of that campaign, uh, and you know to this
1: day he's he's incredibly friendly to me,
2: <laughs> which is really sweet of him.
1: Well, actually, here's a but, little secret I never told anybody, but I'm going to tell you on this kay. program today. I was ever on the mayor's payroll, so that's right. So none of that. Uh, but the mayor's campaign manager and his campaign assistant, they were in my apartment, which literally used to be down the street from where we are recording the podcast today. And they were like, if we need a slogan or something, I was like, easy, had enough. Yeah. Had enough of high crime, had enough of high taxes, had enough of this, had enough of that. And then they took it and ran with it. And then so the art signs start popping up, you know, had enough. Yeah. So I was had enough. You, well, I won't I won't mention her name. Uh, but No, no, she had nothing to
2: do with it. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but you know, those years were incredibly fun to do talk radio. I mean what is it like when you've got all these local issues? And the world kind of cares about. They don't necessarily care about local issues. You know how did
1: you how did you try to cover this stuff to get people into? Easy. I just told stuff. people, hey, this is, why co- this is why I cover local government. Number one, you hear the national stuff all day long, from nine o'clock in the morning until midnight. You can hear all the national all the national issues here on WXNT. There was nobody talking about local stuff. And I've always been a firm believer. The local government is the government that can reach your pocket the fastest because it's the government that's closest to you, yeah because where does half where's half your property tax budget go? It goes to schools, police, fire roads, sewer and so I, so, I'm, so I made sure our niche was to cover the local stuff then the national stuff we do every once in a while with like you know a fox News contributor or or a guest that sort of thing, but for the most part, we just kept it local
2: yeah i mean is, is there that level of things happening on the local level or was i yeah. just so
1: much more aware of it back then because i was your producer there, there's so much stuff going to the local level like for example, we got mary county democrats fighting each other Ooh. you know k sweeney bell who's running for county clerk right now is in a contest with, with billy bro a former senator uh and, and senator Kate sweeney bell's white billy bro's black and then there's a racial element to it because a lot of the black mary county democrats are mad at the white democrats because the white democrats would not allow some blacks to run for you know public office yeah so we got that whole fight and battle going on back and forth uh in senate district 46 right now which is which is what you're in uh the slated candidate uh Kristen jones uh may have actually been breaking the law because she was a campaign treasurer for a couple campaigns and the law says if yeah. you, you can't be a treasurer if you're a candidate
2: Yeah. So, so how do you, I mean, you had such a great home base with that morning show and obviously you're still on WIBC and you've got Um, IndiePolitics.org. Let's talk about the the politicians, right? Because you get along with everybody. But do you see a big difference between this generation of politics? It's like somebody hit the accelerator in 07 and never let up. Like you, you came up fighting with the the Tony Duncans and the, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, who's the Monroe Gray some of those guys you know a lot of them have moved on and have retired Ex- Monroe, Gray
1: thinks I'm a hero now really
2: yep the longer you stick around <laughs> you know but I, I mean wh- why is that what evolution of politicians have you seen in terms of local government
1: um they're not as when I look at the council as a whole when I look at the people who are used to the budget like Jackie Nitas, Mayor Moriarty Adams uh Brian Vaughn uh, a couple other people those are really good sharp brain trust of people who could put a budget together, who could understand a budget, wouldn't let the mayor necessarily snowball them. Now that just isn't there hmm. anymore. Cause like I said, you know, Mary passed away, Jackie Edis left, Joanne Sanders left. And so that, so that brain trust, which by the way, I thought were all women, which I thought was also interesting. Yeah. they put the budget together on the democratic side. They're just not there anymore. And I think the Democrats, at least here in Marion County have kind of lost their farm team. Hmm. So to speak, because usually, you know, somebody would run for trustee or township board, and you kind of groom them to take over the positions that they would do later on. But I would say the one the one thing that I would never forget uh, was uh, Stephen Clay, who became council president through a coup yeah. with council Republicans. And I tried to warn my Republican friends, what are you doing getting behind Stephen Clay? It was like, we have problems with Maggie. Like, you do realize that Stephen Clay has some issues. Big issues. Some big issues, don't you? But they're like, no, nah, that... It was just an accusation. Oh my. Okay. When you know so much and they don't listen to you, like, how do you react to that kind of stuff? I
2: told it, you so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that sounds like I I was right. Yep, I know. So I, I'm gonna let I'm gonna turn it over to Robert uh, to to ask about the 2007 campaign because I think that that was kind of where you you know I remember being an intern. I was like, you got to go to this hobnob. You're like, what's that? You know, and, and very quickly you kind of came up to speed. But by you, by the time you hit 2007, you really kind of came into your own as a local reporter, a local journalist, and a voice to listen to. Uh, and I think you know Robert might know some of the ins and outs of that better than I. But um, talk about Greg Ballard
1: and uh, you. Know, I'll, I'll never w- forget. W- uh, what did you
2: think was going to happen in that campaign?
1: Well, Greg Ballard and I first. Uh, Greg Ballard and I met each other when we'd do like this New Century Publishing like book show thing dave caswell was the guy's uh name mm. and he would do a show on saturdays on WXT. and greg Battle was one of the people whose books he published about small unit leadership and because greg was you no know, retired marine i was a military brat you know we developed a friendship you know through that and then one day greg called me up so i can't do all you free for lunch today so like, well, i'm not free for lunch today but i can meet you after the show tomorrow it's like what's up I like well i'll tell you tomorrow We will meet you at panera bread on 86 and michigan road and so we met on 86 in Michigan Road. Like, so, so, Greg, what's up? It's like, well, I'm thinking about running for mayor. I was like, of what? <laughs> Indianapolis. Indiana? <laughs> like, yeah. Against Bart Peterson? Yeah. Bart Peterson with three million dollars in the bank, and although a sixty five percent, albeit soft approval rating, Bart Peterson? Yeah, I'm thinking about running for mayor. What do you think? It's like, well, it's it's not impossible. And back and back then the issue was crime. We hadn't hit the property tax. Disaster. Yeah. yeah. So crime was a big issue. I was like, well, Mr. Mayor, let me tell you, you ever see Star Wars? Yeah. Well, you know that closing scene where Luke Skywalker's kind of flying down the Death Star Canyon? Yeah. And Darth Vader and the two TIE fighters are behind him? Yeah. And Han Solo comes along and kind of hits one of the TIE fighters and they kind of spin out of control? Yeah. Well, you're Luke Skywalker and Han Solo took the money and left to go pay Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> so you got one shot and you, you can't screw this up. But you know what? The force yeah. was with him twice. Yeah. I, I really, I mean,
2: th- the things that kind of had to go Greg Ballard's way in that um, campaign was amazing. Like when, when the, uh, he gave his budget. I mean, Bart Peterson, would you, I don't want to claim it was arrogance, maybe confidence. Budget with blank pages in it? Budget with blank pages. He had raised the coit tax, you know, so, you know, hiking taxes 65% in the middle of the worst. Well, we got to do it for crime and people understand if we just explain it right. And then that, I've never seen anything like that city council meeting where he presented that budget and Ballard spoke at the end, but they had to lock people out of that thing. Yep. I mean, what was it, you know, th- th- just the property tax capital, you know, protests it was, of
1: 500 people. It, it was, it was a public safety tax and the, and the, and the council wanted to raise it. Peterson wanted to raise it 65%. The Republicans would have given him 45% because that would have covered the pension costs. Cause that's what the big problem was. But Ballard would, uh but, Bad, but Peterson wanted to raise it 65% because he wanted to use some of the public safety tax money for crime prevention grant money to yeah. so walk around and give to organizations like, hey, look, we're doing our part for, you know, to fight, you know, fight crime in Indianapolis. What I thought was interesting, though, and in all that was and, – and he does not get enough credit, uh, even though he really does, is my good friend Tom John because Tom was county chairman at the time. And Tom had a – his strategy was – it's like, okay, if I can get the council, I can, if I get a Republican council, I can get a Republican mayor. And so what Tom did was he did not run candidates in Center Township. Yeah. Because if people think Peterson's going to win and your councilperson doesn't have an opponent, why go out and vote? And so on election night, Center Township closed up relatively early because at first Peterson was ahead and then Ballard was ahead, then Peterson and then Ballard was ahead. But then I was like, okay, Center Township is going to come and that's going to change everything. But then I was like, wait a second. And we're looking at the council races and the precincts were closing up. I was like, holy crap this whoa! this might actually change because center township was closed and done and peterson was still ahead and he had the south side townships it's like oh my god i think ballard may have actually won was this. it election night before you really had an inkling that he was gonna win yes because i still figured he, he had a shot <clears throat> but i still figured at the end of the day peterson's gonna gonna pull it
2: off even with that level of civic engagement and anger
1: yes but the Peterson people, that, but, the, but the African-American vote that Peterson would count on to deliver him from Republicans didn't come through. Mm. And so that's what I was expecting Peterson to you know, have, have just enough to, to pull him through, but they didn't happen. And so I was like, holy crap, we got a new mayor. Yeah. It was this,
2: before we go into the Ballard administration with Robert here, um, the India Undercover stuff, was this before or after Ballard got elected?
1: Uh, it was before Ballard got elected, but it, it happened in the stadium for a couple months after he got elected. Can you just briefly explain what that was? Because
2: that, that was a bright and shining moment of you almost getting arrested.
1: India <laughs> Undercover was a weblog, uh, basically uh, supported law enforcement, public safety. It was, it, came, it was invented during the public safety crisis of 2006, 2007. Not to be confused with the public safety crisis of 2018, 2019 2020, 2021, and 2022. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it was just people would know, send IndyCover Cover stuff like, hey, this is going on here and India Cover would write about it and it would just the blog post would just the trap would just go through through the roof. Now India Undercover almost got arrested because they published the name of a police informant that the cops wanted to charge with criminal recklessness. And that was a big issue because they tracked it to my computer, which I helped India undercover even though I wasn't India Undercover. Which,
2: would you like to go under oath under that? Sure. All right. Well, you were not Joe Friday.
1: No. Okay. Not by myself, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, there was a Joe Friday billboard on Kentucky Avenue. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put a, put a Joe Friday billboard on Kentucky Avenue. was like, holy crap. Wow. This is like a big, big was, thing. Was that the first
2: time you were threatened with arrest for being a journalist?
1: Yes. Okay. That was the first time. And then it all kind of. Went by the wayside, so I wrote on my web blog, Indiana Barrister at the time. Hey, the cops are just at my door; they're about to try to arrest me. And so then, once once out in the open, you can't really do it, yeah, anymore. But I was really hoping to go before the grand jury and just like come out and do like my Hillary Clinton, when she went before the grand jury. Like, if hey, we had T. N. Crumpus. as they were very nice people,
2: yeah. <laughs> Why, why do you think that you don't get the credit you deserve as a journalist? What is it about you that uh, the Indiana Press Corps or attorney Because I can General's do whatever I want. Okay,
1: why? What's, what makes you different than them? Because I can do whatever I want. I'm my own boss. And they have editors and a publisher that they have to answer to, and I don't. And I can also take stories and write about them in the cheat sheet that... Because we we'll all hear the same rumors and same gospel innuendo, except... My, my, my establishment friends in the press corps can't really do anything with it because they don't have confirmation. Meanwhile, I can write about it, call it gossip and rumor, and yeah. pay for vacations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert?
0: You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garman Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer. Our guest on the Leaders and Legends podcast is Abdul Hakim Shabazz. Guest host, you've just heard, is Mr. Chris Spangle, engineer for the podcast. And uh, quite frankly, without him, there would be no Leaders and Legends podcast. So, Chris, I'm very grateful to you as always. Abdul, is there a particular Hoosier leader or legend you admire most?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, at the state level, it's Mitch Daniels. Because Mitch Daniels also, also kind of came into politics at the same mm-hmm. time, so to speak. Because he got elected in 2004. is when I kind of started in 2004. So we both kind of got our start about the, same, about the same time. And what I liked about Mitch Daniels was just his straightforwardness. He was like, hey, you know what? And ah, here's what he... When Daniels did his first state of the state address, I knew he was smarter. He knew he was the smartest guy in the room because he wanted to cut the size and scope of government, but he knew that the, there's no way the legislature is going to do it because that's all their friends and buddies that have come to the ranks. And so what did what, uh, what did uh, Daniels do? He said, you know what? I'm going to ask for a one-penny income tax surcharge for those making over $100,000 a year to help get our budget under control. And he knew there's no way lawmakers would have <laughs> – Gone for that. So what they have to do, they have to cut the budget instead. Like that, my friend. That's somebody playing three dimensional chess when the other guy's playing connect four. Yeah. And so just that, and sort of just like I said, whether it was a toll road, whether it was like you know kind of reforming you know state government. Now, did Daniels have some failures? Yeah, like the lottery he wanted to privatize that didn't happen. He wanted to do the commerce connector, like yeah. the second ring of four sixty five. That didn't necessarily work. But over eight years, I thought Indiana was in a much better place afterwards after daniels left than when he came in office
2: he's so often talked about on this podcast about i mean he's he's always that answer to that question what is it about mitch daniels that makes him a change agent where he can go into a higher institution you know conservatives say oh institutions are dead let's create our own where he goes in and reforms it or comes into indiana government and says we're going to take you on like what is it about his personality
1: that you saw that makes him that changing? Well, I think, there, I think in a nutshell, there, there are two types of people in Indiana, and it's a different mindset. There are people who live here, but have lived somewhere else and came back, and people who have lived here and never left. Hmm. And there's a different mindset than the people who've gone away for a while versus people who've been here all their entire lives and never have gone anywhere. If you're, if you're not from here or you live somewhere else, you bring a different perspective you know, to Indiana, or I suppose if you live here, I don't see what the problem is. Why do we need to change our clocks? Our clocks are just fine.
0: When it comes to the people you've covered in, in your study. Cause I know you like history and political history a lot as well. Has anyone more outperformed expectations than Greg Ballard in his eight years as mayor?
1: I would say no, because Greg Ballard was not a politician. He's literally, he was not, a politician. He was just a regular guy who said, Guess what? I had enough. <laughs> yeah. And decided to go ahead and run, um, run for mayor and, um, and won. Now, granted, it was basically a whole bunch of, th- a whole bunch of ducks in a row and lighting, you know, striking at the right, right place at the right time because you guys know as well as politics is also timing yeah. more and more than anything else. And so I got to give Greg Ballard credit because he brought in, Greg Ballard was smart if to know what he did know, but he brought in really sharp, smart, people you know like chris codrell like you know ryan vaughn like jason dudage you know like paul locus and his chiefs of staff to basically run the show and he got people like you know uh uh oh gosh dave 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 sherman sherman yeah to take care of you know dpw because the roads were you know crappy crappy and so people like that had ballot brought in to, to make the city run. Cause that's all people want to do is I want the city to run on time, brought in like Troy Riggs as a you know, public safety director. And I know people didn't like him, but I was kind of like Frank Straub. Cause like, Hey, we're going to professionalize, you know, our police force. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I didn't have the same relationship with Straub as you did.
0: Well, because Straub didn't lie to you repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. So when you're covering someone, how hard is it to put aside how much you may agree with them?
1: Actually, it's very easy to do because uh, even though there are people in politics who I like, people who I can't stand, you still have to be a professional and just ask a straightforward question. Like, you "No, know, Governor Daniels, what about blah, 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 blah. You know, Mayor Ballard, what about X, Y, Z? Even though I like you, personally, we still got a job to do. Yeah. And one thing I've always been a firm believer in doing, and I learned this back in Illinois, was developing personal relationships with elected officials. Yeah. Because you need to talk to them when the bad things happen. Also, you need to talk to them when the good things happen. Like, Tony Bennett was a really good hmm? really good friend. Uh, he just lost his daughter yeah, uh, recently, which was like an, an awful uh, murder. Called up, called up him and his wife, like, Hey, guys, we're so sorry to hear everything. Anything you need from us? You know, just let us know. But we developed that friendship over, over time and over the years. And like I said, even like some of the council Democrats who say 10 years ago we would necessarily get along, but I said in politics no permanent friends or permanent enemies, just permanent interests. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, there's something about – and I've seen it with Robert and kind of, you know, doing this podcast. And I have it with some of my old college Republican friends when, you know, and when I was the head of the Libertarian Party, it's like, oh, uh, Mark Warner – and now you sort of, like, have respect for each other because you know what they went through. They know what you went through. Like, there's... You grew up. You grew up. And the older you get, you sort of recognize other guys' scars and go, you, you put yourself in their shoes a little bit. I'm sure that, the, you know, when you first got here, it was a little hot and people were calling you Willie Lynch and all that stuff, but... because when I first got here, me and Jennifer
1: Wagner couldn't stand each other. Now we're, bro- like, brother and sister. All right.
0: <laughs> Does it... Is it more fun? I think it's pretty... I mean obviously I think we're biased in on the podcast and that's okay in the sense that there there're very few if anyone who can articulate his own philosophy better than Mitch Daniels. He's just an incredibly polished speaker, a, a very deep thinker. So that's A. Is it more fun to cover A or is it more fun to cover my former boss Greg Ballard who is a little more prone to saying things that haven't necessarily been vetted.
1: Uh, it's like uh, here's the answer to your question. It's like asking your question, which is your favorite child? <laughs> you love them all equally, but for different reasons. I like Mitch Daniels because Mitch Daniels is, you know, such a polished individual. But that's all the same reason why I like Greg Ballard because he's not. Yeah, but they're but they but they're genuine as to who who they actually are. Unlike say the Attorney General who wants to be, you know, the next know donald trump or whatever and so it's doing things to kind of be like donald trump like you're not donald trump it's like it's because characters like because whenever somebody says like, i don't want to be the next barack obama or the next donald trump like no you won't because you can't because donald trump and barack obama are such unique personalities in american politics that there's not going to be another one of those guys for like 150 years they weren't trying team. to be anybody right they were just being themselves yeah. so here's the thought just be your friggin' self
0: so we've had mitch daniels on the podcast twice And the second time we discussed his eight years as governor, first time was more about his earlier career. I said to him on the podcast, I would like your opinion on this, that the two most remarkable political results or performances of my lifetime are Mitch Daniels winning Marion County in 2008 by 50,000 votes, when Barack Obama won it by, I think, 125,000 votes. Three years later, Greg Ballard then wins re-election. Those two results to me are almost unfathomable in some ways. Would you put those two results up there on your list, or do you have another one that you think is even more remarkable?
1: I would say those two definitely because it shows once again that Republicans can win Marin County if you're not crazy mm. and you just kind of practice and do good government. Uh, matter, matter of fact, I think that's uh, basically anywhere uh, because I'll never forget during the 2008 campaign, I was going up to my mother-in-law's house, lives out in uh, rural, uh, ha- rural Hamilton County on like 195th and Cynthian Road and drive along 32, I saw two yard signs, Mitch Daniels, and Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah.
0: And when I worked for the mayor, when I used to write his speeches, I used to, I would tell him, "Close your eyes and picture the house with the Obama sign and the Daniels sign, because they they care about results and integrity. They don't really care about labels Ideology. or parties. No,
1: right. they just want they just want stuff done.
0: That's right. And I think to his great credit, that Greg Ballard focused on the issues. And we can get into Rifra for a minute later, perhaps, until his last year in office when that controversy exploded. But he concentrated on the issues that made people comfortable with him. And I always say, or used to say, that getting voters comfortable with you is the sweetest of the sweet spots.
1: Because fundamentally, I argue voting is an emotional process. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yes, well, like, no, what about issues? But people either vote for who they like, they vote against who they can't stand, now, why they like you? They may like you for a number of different reasons. They may like you because you're position on issues. Mm-hmm. They may like you because you're just a heck of a nice nice guy or a straight talker. Voters vote, vote for fundamentally who they like and against who they can't stand. Yeah. And Mitch Daniels and Greg Ballard uh, are very likable people. Now, get Mitch Daniels in a room, he's going to be like the bull in the china mm-hmm. shop. Hey, we're doing this and we're going forward and, you know, damn the torpedoes. But you still love the guy.
0: Well, and Ballard listened to and watched what Mitch Daniels did because one of the very first things he did— after he became mayor was to tell Michael Huber, find me my toll road deal. And that toll road deal ended up being the sale of the water company, which then had a windfall of more than $400 million to be invested in infrastructure. You're listening to the leaders and legends podcast with Abdul Hakim Sabah Shabazz. And he's also, we're joined by Chris Spangle. I have a couple more questions. And then Chris, if you want to ask a couple of more and then we'll end with the five questions, uh, Blazing Saddles. The greatest movie ever made.
1: <laughs> no God damn it. I said the sheriff is a nigger.
0: <laughs> Why does that resonate? The,
2: the, the with amount of times you? I was on the air saying, "Where do white women at?" It was totally inappropriate. <laughs> Why would you let me do that to my son? Cuz it's funny.
0: <laughs> it is a it is a masterpiece of almost ironic humor. And, you know, I let my son I wouldn't let my son watch it till he was out of high school. And then I said, now you can watch it because now if you repeat anything, then at least I don't have to go see the Archbishop. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that movie so funny for you? And how does that help fuel what clearly is a rebellious streak again that you have to push the boundaries of political correctness and accepted norms?
1: I've never been a big fan of political correctness, to be brutally honest with you. Like, you know, just call a spade a spade and be... Done with. Now, this doesn't mean go be disrespectful to people or be mean, but I've just never had a, you know, you know you're an old person. You're not chronologically challenged. All right. I mean, come on. Let's just call a spade a spade. What I loved about Blazing Saddles, and by the way, uh, I teach a mass media class at the University of Indianapolis in the spring, and the first thing I have my mass media students do is watch the movie Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> because I tell them, first of all, if you're going to go in the media business, you need to have some thick skin. Yeah. Because this is not for the, for the fainted heart or the timid. So get over yourself right here, right now. And it's funny because I have to write a little short paper about it. And most of them actually like the movie. They think it's hilarious. Some people think the word is a little bit like, oh, my God. Uh... But their parents are like, what are you watching? Blazing Saddles? Like, why are you watching Blazing Saddles? My, my college professor told me I had to watch it. Like, I like that guy. <laughs>
2: right.
1: Because their parents are in our age group and they get it. And that's what I always love about Blazing Saddles. And Blazing Saddles... Nothing is sacred. Everybody is fair game. Drop that chink of days' pay for napping on the job. <laughs> hey boss, you gonna? We almost lost a perfectly good four hundred dollar handcart. <laughs>
2: well, it's something that I've become more aware of. You know, just like Black culture and blackness, and you know, all my co-hosts have been black from starting with you at this point. But like. You it, well, Robert's an honorary. He's
0: an honorary brother.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh, because like, my
0: grandkids are black.
2: <laughs> but I don't know that you necessarily claim that, and that has been like the Uncle Tom thing has been used against you over the course of your career. Like, how how do you? Well, it's deal funny. With bring that? Up, what do you think about all that?
1: It's funny to bring up Uncle Tom because people who call me Uncle Tom have no idea who Uncle Tom really was. And never read the book Harry Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin because if you read the book, Uncle Tom was actually the hero, right? Who actually saved people and took the punishment so the slaves could escape, like. Duh. So whenever somebody calls me and goes, I'm like, hey, thank you. I'm kind of proud of that. You no know, scoring for the good guys. But, I mean, I guess my question is, I mean, do we have racial issues in this country? Yes, we do. But I think it's because people are just way too uptight. And the more and I, and I, and I kind of blame social media for this because social media is how the misinformed reaches the uninformed, to be brutally honest with you. And my thing with social media has always been is that people will say stuff on social media that they would never say to a person sitting across the, the table from them. Yeah. And so I think social media is kind of added to the, sort of the vitriol, and also people sort of retreat to their own corners and get their own news information that just feeds into what they think is true, and then they never get out of that bubble.
2: Robert, the amount of times, speaking of Blazing Saddles, that we got phone calls in, as social media started to take off going, he's black? From the callers.
1: <laughs> Every week we got one of those. And actually, one of the first letters I got uh, when I went to work at WXT Radio was got one of the first emails. Well, some guy was like, I can't believe they hired somebody named Abdul to be on this radio station. We're at war with you people, and I don't want to listen to no terrorist talk radio. So I emailed him back, like, sir, that's a double negative, which means you do want to listen to terrorist talk radio, and I'm happy to oblige you.
0: <laughs> you get, you get, because we have to ask a little bit about your. Recent contretemps with yeah. uh, the Attorney General, uh, you get labeled a lot in the local media as a conservative, and I read that label and I just kind of go, well it's like calling Robert a conservative <laughs> yes of <laughs> his Nixon tattoo <laughs> yes and that is something that I find interesting. Do you, would you classify yourself as a conservative? I know you voted for Barack Obama. I think, did you vote for him both times? I remember we've had this conversation One time. But first time, but you're pro choice and you're pro marijuana legalization. You were pro LGBT long, long, long time ago. Would you consider yourself conservative or is it just a matter of you're black? You're not Angela Davis. Therefore you are conservative.
1: I would be considered uh, a socially progressive capitalist pig <laughs> in a nutshell, in other words, I don't care what you do or who you do it with, as so long as you're not asking me to pay for it. It's just that simple. Um, in a nutshell, though, I would be considered to be more like a classic liberal. Free markets, free trade, free people. That's my genuine philosophy. I'm not so much libertarian that I don't believe, like, no roads, no schools, no – you know, put a little sticker on your mailbox to get fire service. Meanwhile, if you don't have fire service, the rest of the neighborhood's going to burn down because you don't have fire. It's
2: not how it works. It's not but how okay. it works. Continue to slander.
1: Yeah, but, no, but I'm a split ticket voter. I mean, I mean, I tend to vote in Republican primaries, but my wife tends to vote in Democratic primaries. So we make sure we got our bases covered. Mm-hmm. This the first time I've ever said that in public.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: must be getting ready to do something. Mm-hmm. And get political aspirations <laughs> out of the way. Um, but no, I mean, I'm a split ticket voter. I always have been, always, well, because my parents always told me, so nobody has monopoly on good ideas or stupidity.
0: 2022 has been an interesting year for you. It's, I think, almost sui generis when it comes to having a local member of the media be targeted by a statewide elected official. Did you at all see your battle with Attorney General Rokita coming. I know that he's not been a fan of yours for a while.
1: For a couple years,
0: because I worked for Luke Messer in the 2018 <laughs> Republican Senate primary,
2: which is crazy because he used to co-host the, the he guest host the the radio
1: show. I mean, he and I were friendly because of it. Yep. What'd you do? <laughs> well, no, uh, I think what I think I think it goes back to the U.S. Senate race back in 2018, and I think what the problem was was that. Uh, Messer's people were all from Indiana. It was like you, it was Jennifer Howell, it was Megan. It was people who've been friends of mine for years who already knew, whereas Rakita didn't really have anybody from Indiana. He had a guy from like West Virginia and some other places, and I just didn't know him. And so they were like, Abdul's in the Messer camp. Like, no, I'm not in the Messer camp. I mean, I'm not in anybody's camp. I just know the Messer people pretty well because they're all been friends of mine, you know, for years. It's just that simple. And so then so when Rakita dropped out of the 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 the, 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 the US Senate debate hosted by the debate commission saying he didn't want to, the debate should only be held by uh, by conservatives and not, you know, liberal college professors, liberal talk show hosts. I'm like, who the hell is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about, I'm a liberal in the classic sense of the word, but as far as like, you know, defund the police, no. no mm-hmm. public assistance, no, not school choice, yeah. So that so that was interesting. And then it just it just kind of deteriorated uh, from there until I tried to put his news conference, I was banned, and then I had to go get my good buddies at the ACLU to take care of that.
0: Do you think in some ways, do you think in some ways that he was looking for a, not a foil because that would be disrespectful to you, but someone to basically pick a fight with? I mean, he seems to be, you know, I know him, uh, you know, I can't say that we're close in any way, shape or form, but you know, he's, he's won more races than he's lost. And that's, that's just a demonstrable fact. Do you get the sense that he's looking for fights that he goes out of his way, especially with the news media? I mean, I remember having lunch with a couple of reporters. This is in the 2016 primary season. And I basically said a Republican candidate loses no votes in the primary. If he went up on the stage and said, every newspaper headquarters should be burnt down. Every single TV station is against us. They're all liberals. That would not in any way hurt him. And the response I got to that was like, you're kidding me. And I was like, who's leading the Republican primary in 2016? And so it appears that the attorney general is taking a page out of that playbook because the Republican primary electorate, which comprises obviously a vast majority here in Indiana, wants that. How much of it do you think is real and how much do you think is contrived?
1: I think most of it is contrived. I think, I think where is a smart political creature, you No, know, that if I want to get ahead and do well in Indiana, I need to adopt the Donald Trump playbook as much as humanly possible. Now, I don't think that necessarily works because frankly, I think he's a dick. Can I say that? Yes, you can. Okay. Sorry about that. No, no, no. We'll I'll go. mark it. I'll mark it. Okay, but he Thank said you. he's a
0: dick. Yeah. Just making sure. You he heard me. He's a dick. But Eric Holcomb hasn't a, a adopted that playbook, and you know he's won twice. I mean, I'm not disputing your yeah. thesis, but he's not popular on Twitter. I think it's you see, obvious. See, see here's
1: the thing. Here's the thing about Rakita. R- 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 in my personal opinion, in my personal opinion, Rakita was looking for a fight because he figured, okay, I can go against Abdul because first of all, his name's Abdul, so let's deal with all that comes along with with that nothing else more needs to be said and i don't think he was expecting me to fight back he figured we'll just ban him from the news conferences and that'll be the end of the discussion but i was like no you're not gonna do this i'm gonna go get me i'm gonna i am going i would not got the aclu on purpose because number one those guys are they're the best first amendment lawyers in the country and number two rokita hates the aclu yeah and so to lose against ken falk was just icing on the gravy.
0: <laughs> so how did your fellow journalists, because you are a journalist, and anyone who says you aren't is just, that's just absurd. So how did your fellow journalists react? Did you feel like you had their support? You know, it was what, maybe 10 years ago or so, remember the Obama White House wanted to ban the Fox News correspondent or the Fox News from it, yeah. but CNN and NBC, like all the White House correspondents rallied around, it might even have been James Rosen, before mm. they spied on him, of course, but rallied around and said, hey, look, you can't do that. Did you get that same treatment?
1: I got it very quietly <laughs> from, from friends of mine, like, send me an email, like, hey, Abdul, respect what you're doing. Matter of fact, I got that from not only uh, my journalism friends, but also a lot of Republican lawmakers and Democratic lawmakers and lobbyists in the, in the state house. because I had a couple folks who, who, who endorsed Rokita during the U.S. Senate race, like, Abdul, love what you're doing. Keep it
0: going. Establishment sticks together. And what do you, what do you think
1: <laughs> well,
0: Rokita gained
1: nothing. from it? Because in order for in order for as you Robert, you understand this better than anybody. In order for the narrative to work, it has to be at the very least somewhat believable. In order for the narrative to have legs and really carry. But nobody thought I was a liberal journalist. Right. So your basic premise doesn't doesn't work. And I've also been here covering local government politics for eighteen years. You're
2: a very known quantity.
1: Yes. And so if, if one thing if I was unknown or somebody that didn't know me, I get that. But I'm a known quantity. I've been covering like three government, my third, fourth governor now the longest serving members of the state house press corps so how does your narrative work when it doesn't work you've been
2: generating goodwill and he has not for a very long time then that matters
1: that's why i got the cheat sheet
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've reached the point in the leaders and legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests our guest is abdul hakim shabazz would you want to ask the questions sure i have a Got a, i got a million more questions. Let me, let me hand over the football to you. All right. Thank you.
2: I have, I've never been able to do this before. Uh, all right, Abdul. Just blatant
1: honesty. Just, let's hear it. What was your first job? My first job was actually working in my uncle's typewriter and sewing machine repair shop. You just People would bring in typewriters and sewing machines, and I would just fill out the invoice and set them in the corner and go do my homework. <laughs> you didn't get your hands dirty? get in there and
2: take those finely manicured hands and <laughs> no <laughs> no i did not what was your first concert
1: um is either google dolls or savage garden you're not a concert person are you not really yeah because i like to be able to press skip that might be the youngest band
0: that we've heard on this <laughs> podcast that's probably so <laughs> that's probably so everybody else is, yeah, like you know. the google dolls
1: savage garden like 97 98 If you could suggest any book for someone to read, what book would you recommend? Thomas Friedman's "The World Is Flat." Why? Because it shows how our economy is changing, and it's no longer. And kids in Indiana, a kid in Indianapolis, no longer competing with a kid from Brazil, Indiana. You're competing with a kid from Brazil, literally, and you got to have the skills in the the twenty-first century to compete. Because uh, the the perfect example I like to use is a hundred years ago, my grandfather worked in a factory. His job was to take those boxes over there and move those boxes over there. Twenty five years later, my uncle he's got a forklift. Twenty five years later, my older cousin's got a crane. Twenty five years later, my younger cousin is basically sitting in a room with a computer, pushing buttons and moving moving boxes and warehouses all over the country. And so that's why I say, and this is my opinion on immigration: like it's not illegal immigrants who are taking your jobs; it's automation that's taking yeah. your job. So you got to have the skills to deal with the automation. That's why I say Thomas Friedman's "The World Is Flat."
0: That was, I believe, Greg Ballard's book as well. Hmm. He was a big, he is a big fan of that book.
2: If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Any event in history? Ah, this is going to sound really weird. I would want to go be there for the last few days of Jesus Christ, just to to see the, the politics behind it, not so much the, the story of the crucifixion <laughs> and the resurrection. But I've always found in religion, people tend to forget the politics of what was going on at the time. Yeah. And so they, lose, they, lose, they don't have a full perspective of everything. Because my wife, who's a very devout Baptist, as I am not, we have the, kind of these discussions all the time. Because Jesus said, love your enemies as you would yourself. Well, the reason he said love your enemies is because the enemies could kill you. Because they're Romans with swords and sticks. So you can't beat them, so you may as well like them. So you want to meet Caiaphas? <laughs> hang, <laughs> hang out with the chief priest. Actually, meet Herod. Actually, <laughs> so you want to party?
0: Then? You are the Christ, the Great Jesus well, Christ. If you, you want to do to politics? Me. Don't you want to meet Pontius Pilate?
1: Yeah. Hey, what's say? Love like Jesus, but wash your hands like Pilate.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just watched the uh, Passion of the
2: Christ. Lots of politics in that movie. You should check it out. Uh, I, I saw that. That was that was enough for me. I'm more of a Jesus Christ superstar kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record just to chat. Who would you choose? Actually,
1: I would choose Donald Trump. To ask you, Mister Trump, what the hell is your goddamn problem? No, seriously, because we know you, you do things to you know because you're you're smart, you're a businessman, and you and, and to say you're not a politician, you are because you don't build buildings in New York City and Chicago without knowing how to play politics. So let's just be honest. All the kidding aside, all the you know aside, let's just figure out who Donald Trump actually really really is. What if there isn't something there? Then there isn't. Yeah.
0: If you had to choose one word to describe Donald Trump, which word would you choose?
1: Histrionic. <laughs> yeah. Chris? I, I think that nailed it.
2: I mean, narcissistic.
1: That's why I say Trump is a racist, because to be racist, you actually got to care about what other race people are. Trump's a narcissist. Because yeah, I'm one. He never seen it because I'm one. He's always at the meetings. Mm.
0: <laughs> Has social media been good for you?
1: Oh, it's been great. Um, It's great great for any politics. It's great for uh, me expressing my thoughts. Um, I get up in the morning about 4 o'clock. The first thing I do is I check my Facebook memories to see what I can steal from last year and from... You you didn't... I mean, when you got let go from WXNT, you didn't even miss a beat, did you? Nope. We started uh, any politics like... uh, I got let go on uh, WXNT in August, and we started any politics on Labor Day. Yeah. Because I was thinking about starting something up, like something a little bit different, like, hey, and something like Politico, but for Indiana. And so, talking to a bunch of people, and then my brother and I, we built the first website. It like, It's like the Wright brothers and their old bicycle shop at Kitty Hawks. Like, oh my God, this what,
2: is. <laughs> what listeners have to understand is Abdul got a goodbye period, a, a farewell tour on the radio, which does not happen at any place. You were you are packing your stuff the day they tell you that you're let. I mean, you were there. They
1: told you you were leaving, and you had weeks. Well, actually, uh, they told me I was leaving. They told me that Wednesday, and I got to stick around until that Friday because I thought they were worried about I was going to say something like, "I'm not going to say anything or do anything." Yeah, stupid. But I do remember uh, Mitch Daniels coming by. Yeah, I was and, there that morning. Yep, and Mitch Daniels like uh, Abdul like, you know, you're you're still me as far as we're concerned. You, know, you got your press badge? Like, yeah, yes, I do." like you're welcome anytime It's like by the way governor you'd have made a heck of a president it's like an abdul you'd have made one hell of a press secretary he he showed up without his detail
2: who showed up about 10 minutes later who was ticked off at the governor because he had ridden his harley uh but and he knew my name which there's no reason he should have remembered me <laughs> but i remember him saying at one point abdul there's only two voices my dog, dog knows in, the morning, in the morning you and me yep
0: that's such a Mitch Daniels saying. <laughs> Whether he stole it or <laughs> created it, that sounds exactly like him. Well, I stole see- it whenever I met,
1: when I met Steve Insky from National Public Radio. It's like, Mr. Inskey, my dog only recognizes two voices <laughs> in the morning, yours and mine. What'd he say? <laughs> he just kind of laughed. Like, what time do you get up? Like, 4.30.
0: <laughs> Where do you see yourself? We're going to end the podcast here in a minute. It's been a lot of fun, obviously. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours, um, professionally and personally. Very gratified at how your recent uh, controversy, if that's the right term, turned out. Turned out the way that it should have. What do you see yourself doing in ten, fifteen years? We're about the same age. I think I'm a few years older than you. Mm. Do you see yourself still here in Indianapolis, or someplace a little bit larger, or, or where maybe there's. The Democrats control the city. The Republicans control the state. There are some states where everything's up in mm-hmm. play with moving to a place yeah. like that.
1: I tend to like divided government because it keeps life interesting because life is because the legislature was not as much fun as it was between 2006 and 2010. When Pat Bauer was speaker, Mitch Daniels was uh, governor and David Long ran the Senate. So you had an interesting sort of dynamic and uh, back and forth. Uh, one thing, I do have to make a decision, uh, which I'm probably going to make a decision, my wife and I going to Alaska in June, is whether or not to run for mayor of Indianapolis.
0: Hmm. Your dream as of a Republican?
1: Coming? More than likely, yeah. So I've got to make that decision, but I'll make it when I come back from Alaska. Would the Democrats let you run as a Democrat? I can run as a, whatever I want. I know, that's the beauty <laughs> of it.
2: Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to give up a nice life with Mrs. Shabazz, a good media career, teaching? I mean, there's... There's so many things we didn't get to in the last because, hour. Because I
1: think what Indianapolis is missing right now is, this is going to sound really weird, is hope. Mm. That people feel the city's on the wrong path. They're not, crime is out of control, potholes. And, and I understand there's only so much a mayor can actually do. But the mayor should also be a cheerleader for the city. It should make people feel good about, you know, where you live, where you work, where your kids go to school. And I think, you know, I think the city has lost, under Joe Hogshead, who I like Joe personally, I think the city has lost hope. And it really is that hope restore it back because once you restore once people feel good about the place a lot of other things tend to fall into place yeah as well because when i'm on say i-69 going because i got to go to huntington tomorrow to give a lincoln day speech i'd rather see all the cars coming back into the city than going out of the city the comments on the huntington speech
2: post are hilarious too by the way <laughs> 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 i totally agree i read gary kasparov's book "Winter is coming and he talked a lot about reagan's vision and I started on Reagan at Reykjavik, you know. Just oh, the, the Ken Adelman book. It's yeah, terrific. just the moral clarity of Reagan and and how, the power of hope and the power of actually believing in, in this stuff. I mean, where do you see the Republicans going? Because it, it, they seem to be going down that Rakita path and that that kind of we're not surprised by it with the talk radio callers that we dealt with for so many years, but they've seemed to have seized that and cynicism runs wild.
1: Well, that's why I think. Well, once again, it's social media. It's, it's sort of that you get all your news from one place. Because liberals won't watch Fox and conservatives won't watch MSNBC, I say watch all three. That way, you get a full picture of what exactly is going on. Now, as far as the the evening programs, that's a whole different ball of wax. Whether it's Rachel Maddow or Laura Ingram or you know Don Lemon, that's that's not news. That's basically opinion dressed up as news. But I'm talking about the news stuff. I watch all three because it gives me a full view of what's going on. I also read the Wall Street Journal, I read the Atlantic, I read. But how
2: would you overcome that as a politician? that that cynicism especially within the Republican party
1: but yeah. one politician at a time yeah it's like how do you eat an elephant <laughs> one bite at a time
0: yeah you have been listening to the leaders and legends podcast it's presented by veteran strategies a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central indiana Garmon construction leaders and legends llc the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest on the podcast has been Abdul Hakim Shabazz. Love you.
1: Hey, gentlemen, my pleasure.
0: It's always great to see you, my (laughs) friend. Thank you, Chris, for co-hosting. Obviously, you brought a lot to the podcast with your friendship with Abdul, stretching back from the womb. Yeah, we, we
2: didn't even get to your adopted son, your <laughs> teaching career. He's yeah. fine. Teaching's good. Yeah, <laughs> Mrs. Shabazz and how She's we, great. we didn't think that it would last this long. It's, it's, I won the pool. <laughs> I know. We, we. I met my first wife. I <laughs> said, oh, that'll last. Well, let's see who who actually gets married first.
1: And you won.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much for listening.
1: Hey, thanks, Robert. I appreciate being
0: here. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.